You're listening to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. To connect with us, hop on social media or go to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Okay, so hello. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jasmine. I am, hello, I'm married to this handsome man at the front here. Um, he's amazing. He currently has is like self-proclaimed daddy strong legs because we are expecting a baby boy in three months. And, uh, and he's like, he's doing like the reverse dad bod. He's like going to the gym all the time and he's getting even more ripped. And I'm like, that's cool. You shred and I'll keep getting puffy. This is... Great, thank you so much. So yeah, I, um, I'm pregnant. I help out the worship team here, the growth track team, and uh, Craig and I have also been running the service team for the last little while, which has been amazing. So that's a bit about me and what I do. Let me take a sip of water, because out of my bougie drink bottle, I'm like testing that theory of like, if you buy an expensive water bottle, does it make you drink more water? It does. It's working. It's been four days, but it's working so far. So we'll see how that goes. So as Pastor Rob said, we're starting this new series. Why on earth do we worship? Why on earth do we worship? Did you know that worship is mentioned in the Bible 8,269 times? That's a lot of times. So I feel like it must be pretty important if it's mentioned 8,269 times. And, you know, we talk a lot about, like Pastor Rob was saying before, as a church, we talk a lot about worship being a lifestyle, that God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. That he's so good. We've released albums as a church. Like we really value worship. But today, I, I, like, I know that worship is a lifestyle and I'm sure that we'll cover that in a cup, like in the um, upcoming sermons. Thank you very much. Um, but today I really wanted to focus on like, why do we sing? Like what, like what, like this stuff that we did just before, why do we do that part of worship? So today um, I am going to be reading from one of my favorite texts in the Bible. Also my first time preaching with Terry it's very exciting. I feel very privileged, but I'm a bit like, where are my notes going to come up? Is it like here or here? I don't know. You don't know. This is amazing. <laughs> so in whichever screen, we're going to bring up my passage, which is from Acts. And let's read along. One day, as we were going to the house of prayer, we encountered a young slave girl who had an evil spirit of divination, the spirit of Python. She had earned great profits for her owners for being a fortune teller. She kept following us, shouting, These men are servants of the great high God, and they're telling us how to be saved. Day after day, she continued to do this, until Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit indwelling in her, I command you in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to come out of her now. And at that very moment, the spirit came out of her. Okay, little little side note, because I think sometimes the Bible is weird. I'm just going to call it out. Maybe it was Paul that was being weird. Um, why did he let a demon-possessed girl, just a thought, like why did he let a demon-possessed girl follow him around for days? Like that's so weird to me. Like Pastor Fred, you've like seen a few demons. Like what would you, how long would you let one follow you around for? Four minutes. 
so fair. I've encountered a couple this year and I'm like, I just get the thing out. Like, okay. (laughs) Continuing on. When her owners realised that their potential of making profit had vanished, they forcefully seized Paul and Silas and dragged them off to the city square to face the authorities. When they appeared before the Roman soldiers and magistrates, the slave owners levelled accusations against them, saying, These Jews are troublemakers. They're throwing our city into confusion. They're pushing their Jewish religion down our throats. It's wrong and unlawful for them to promote these Jewish ways, for we are Romans living in a Roman colony. A great, a great crowd gathered, and all the people joined in to come against them. The Roman officials ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped of their garments and beaten with rods on their bare backs. What a good day. What a great day. Okay. So then after they were severely beaten, again, great, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. So the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and had their feet bound and chained. Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Suddenly, a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison and all at once, every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. Startled, the jailer awoke and saw every cell door standing open. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself when Paul shouted in the darkness, Stop! Don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. The jailer called for a light. When he saw that they were still in their cells, he rushed in and fell trembling at their feet. Then he led Paul and Silas outside and said, What shall I must do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your family. Then they prophesied the word of the Lord over him and all his family. Even though the hour was late, he washed their wounds. Then he and all his family were baptized. He took Paul and Silas into his home and set them a table and fed them. The jailer and all that his family were filled with joy in their newfound faith in God. Let's pray. Oh God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that you've already been moving. God, we thank you for the gift of worship. I thank you, God, that we can worship freely in Australia. God, I pray that you would speak this morning. I pray that you would just continue to move. Amen. So I've been married for just over a year now. And something I've found is that a lot of times in marriage, you get more than what you bargained for. And most of the time, that's in great ways. Like you get more affection and you get someone to rub your feet when they're sore. And, and you get someone who goes to work and, and does, does the dishes and takes the bins out when I ask. And, you know, I get more than what I bargained for. And then sometimes... I feel like it's like in a not so great way. Um, You get a little bit more than what you thought you were getting and it's not, you know, the best. And so a story that comes to mind is when we were booking our honeymoon. This is so exciting. You're about to be married and we decided we were going to go to New Zealand and we were so excited and we found these, well, actually Craig, my wonderful husband Craig, he, <laughs> he found these wonderfully cheap flights and we were like, okay, like we have to get these cheap flights. So we booked them and um, 
Let me just tell you they were cheap for a reason. We, I have a couple of videos here. I don't know if there's sound, maybe. Just kidding. <laughs> we have a really long layover in Auckland. So. From 12am till 8am, actually. So we're spending night four of being married at the airport <laughs> on the floor. Jasmine can't get to sleep because she keeps laughing. Yeah, because it's so fluoro bright in here. <sighs> part two, part two. So about 12 minutes has passed and uh, we have a fort. Husband's great idea. So uh, let's try and get some sleep, hey? <laughs> Let me show you the fort. Okay, great. So, as you can see, sometimes you get more than you bargained for, and I got two hours sleep, and that's not because we were doing fun married things that you probably thought you would be doing on night four of marriage, um, but no, it was the lights and this weird fort that we built. <laughs> but sometimes you'll get more than what you bargained for. But in worship, you'll always get more than what you bargained for, and it's worth the cost. Let's just recap Paul and Silas. So they're going along their business, they're doing the good work of the Lord, and a demon-possessed girl decides to follow them along and annoy them. So they eventually, after a few days, cast this demon out, and it goes and then they get chucked in jail for it. But they're not just chucked in, in jail. They're beaten. They're left in the cold. They're, they're in the innermost cell, which is the darkest, coldest cell. So what did it cost them to worship? I think it actually cost them a lot. It's likely that Paul actually spent about 25% of his time in ministry in prison, 25% of it. Roman imprison, uh, sorry, Roman imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged, a humiliating, painful and bloody ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated. Prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist chains. Sorry if this is a bit graphic, but <laughs> mutated, Blood-stained clothing was not replaced, even in the cold of winter. Most cells were dark, especially like the innermost cell that they were in. Unbearable cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, and sickening stench from few toilets made sleeping difficult. But they still worshipped. At midnight, when they could have been sleeping 
they still worshipped. You know, I think sometimes, I mean, when I read the Bible, I'm like, there's, there's this thought where I'm like, oh, they must be like superhuman, you know, because I mean, I don't think I could do that. So there must be something really special. Like maybe they didn't feel the cold. Maybe, maybe they didn't feel the wounds. Maybe they couldn't smell the blood. I don't know. That night, Paul and Silas gave a sacrifice of praise. They gave a sacrifice of praise. I have a quote here. It's a little bit long, but I just think it says it so well. Matthew Henry. Now they had felt the smart of the rods. They had plowed upon their backs and made long furrows. The many stripes they had laid upon them were very sore, and one might have expected to hear them complaining of them, of the rawness and soreness of their backs and shoulders. Yet this was not all. They had reason to fear the axes next. Their master was first scourged and then crucified, and they might expect the same. In the meantime, they were in the inner prison, their feet in the stocks, which some think not only held them but hurt them. And yet, at midnight when they could have been trying, if possible, to get a little rest, they prayed and sang praises to God. They praised God, for we must in everything give thanks. What should put the heart of a child of God out of tune for this duty if a dungeon and a pair of stocks will not do it? They praised God that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name and that they were so wonderfully supported and borne up under their sufferings and felt divine consolation so sweet, so strong in their souls. They not only praised God, but they sang praises to him in some psalm or hymn or spiritual song, either one of David's or some modern composition or one of their own as the Spirit gave them utterance. As our rule is that the afflicted should pray, therefore, being merry in their affliction, merry after a godly sort, they sang psalms. This proves that the singing of psalms is a gospel ordinance and ought to be used by all Christians. And that it is instituted not only for the expressing of their joys in a day of triumph, but for the balancing and relieving of their sorrows in the day of trouble. And we think that sometimes worshipping when the aircon is broken is hard. Or worshipping when they sing Bethel and not Hillsong is hard. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. It is continual because God can never be sufficiently praised for the abundant and inexhaustible blessings we have obtained through Jesus Christ. You know, Christian sacrifice is not just periodic, but it is continual. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, giving God a sacrifice of praise. You know, Bill Johnson talks about how here on earth, we can give God a gift that not even the angels in heaven can, because we can give God a sacrifice of praise. When it's hard, when it doesn't make sense, when we're sick, when our son or daughter hasn't been saved yet, we can give a sacrifice of praise, and that is such a gift to God. Such a gift to God. It may not always be your preference to praise, but praise anyway. 
you know, it's like the scriptures doesn't say, but I can imagine that maybe it wasn't Paul and Silas's preference to praise, but they praised anyway, and we know what happened. So why on earth do we worship? We worship because there is always a reason to worship. And I know that I will get more than what I bargained for. It's worth the cost. Worship is worth the cost. Point two, many voices make light work. Many voices make light work. You know, Pastor Caleb has touched on this a lot. Pastor Rob has touched on this a lot in, in our previous series about how we live in a society that's very singular. We love to be independent compared to biblical times when the significance of people, groups, families, and generations was so great. Our worlds now largely value individualism over everything else. But that's not necessarily biblical. Paul and Silas, they sung together. They didn't, like, take turns. Silas wasn't like, okay, I'll take shift one and you nap. And then when I'm done, I'll wake you up and I'll sleep. And then, you, and, you know, we'll, we'll just take shifts and praise during the night. No, no, no. They chose to worship together. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 19 to 20. Do not get drunk on wine but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns or spiritual songs. Hang on. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I thought we were singing to God. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. Addressing one another. The Bible said it, not me. So what's Paul saying here? Worship is actually not just vertical. It's also horizontal. Worship isn't just vertical. It's also horizontal. Through worship, we are endeavoring to edify one another and to promote purity of heart by singing praise. One commentator said that this, the way that this is written actually has a force of command. So Paul isn't saying, it's an option. You can sing to God and if you want, you can like sing so that others hear and so that others can be impacted. No, no, no. He's saying, actually, sing to one another. He says it as a command. And it is a matter of obligation on Christians. From the beginning, praise was an important part of public worship. Worship builds each other up. If you don't have the strength to sing for yourself, sing for someone else. If you don't have the strength to sing for yourself, sing with your neighbour who has cancer. Sing for your son or daughter who hasn't met the Lord yet. Sing for your friend who battles anxiety and depression. If you don't have the strength to sing over yourself and to sing for yourself, sing for someone else. Matthew 18, 20 says, we all know this one. For where two or three are gathered in my name, meeting together as my followers, I am there among them. 
I am there among them. God promises to come and move and show up when we gather and we worship. And when we recognise I'm not just worshipping for myself, I'm worshipping for all of those around me. I'm worshipping for the mum who's come in to KCC this morning and she's had a hard time with her kids in the car. I'm worshipping for the person who's battling that thing that no one knows about. I'm worshipping for them. God promises to move when we show up and we sing. If the band would like to come up, that would be great. Psalm 107.32. Let's exalt Him on high and lift up our praises in public. Let all the people and the leaders of the nation know how great and wonderful is Yahweh our God. You know, Paul and Silas, it says that they sung so loud that the whole jail could hear. And when I did research into the the jail and where they were, a lot of people have gone like, I actually don't, like they, like commentators don't really understand how it got out of those walls. But they sang so loud that the whole prison heard. I wonder what the other prisoners thought when they heard them singing. What did they think? What do other people think when they hear you singing? What do your children think when they wake up and and you're in the lounge room worshipping? What do your children think when you're tired and you're a late night working on Saturday night, but you get them up anyway to come and worship with your church? What are they thinking? What are your workmates thinking when it's a stressful day in the office and you leave to go and worship? What are they thinking? Just a little side note, this verse actually says that our worship has political weight. It says, let all people and the leaders of this nation know how great and wonderful is Yahweh. I don't know if there's much more of an important time where our worship needs to bear political weight. We should sing so loud that our nation and the leaders of our nation would know how great God is. So why on earth do we worship? Because many voices make light work. Point three, final point. Pain, praise, provision. Pain, praise, provision. Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Suddenly, a great earthquake shook the foundation of the prison and all at once, every prison door flung open and the chains of the prisoners came loose. Their pain, unfairly imprisoned, open wounds, cold jail floor and darkness. Their praise, a sacrifice of praise loud enough for all of those around to hear them. And God's provision, the rocks crying out in praise, shaking the foundations of the prison, every prison door flinging open, chains being broken and the salvation of the jail man and his entire family. Your pain, might look like depression, might look like anxiety, 
disease, fear of the unknown, sin, infertility, heartbreak. But your praise can look like this. God, I am not going to sit passively anymore. Even though my heart is heavy, God, even though my body is in pain, even though my head is in turmoil, I am going to stand, I am going to lift my hands and I am going to sing. I'm going to sing so loud that everybody else can hear me, God. I am going to dance so big that others will see because I know that in the midst of the pain and on the other side of my praise is your provision. And God's provision, it looks like His grace. It looks like His healing. It looks like His deliverance. It looks like His peace. It looks like the shaking of foundations, bondages being broken, the release from prison that has been holding you and the salvation of your family members. That is what, on the other side of your praise, that is what is there. That is your provision this morning. Tertullian says this, the legs fill nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. Anxiety has no voice when the heart is in heaven. Depression is rendered powerless when the heart is in heaven. Disease loses its grip when the heart is in heaven. Sin has no hold when the heart is in heaven. Pain, praise, provision. Pain, praise, provision. I wasn't going to share this, but I feel to. I've had some first-hand experience of praising through the pain. I was quite sick for a couple of years and we didn't really know what it was. And I don't think we still don't really know. But um, I would be fine and then I'd suddenly collapse and my whole body would be in pain. And I, like, my mind would go fuzzy and I couldn't think and I couldn't see and I couldn't speak. And like Craig and I started dating um, with him feeding me because I couldn't lift my hands. And there were so many times, so many times when I'd come to church and I'd be like, I am in so much pain. I'm so exhausted. Like, like, I can't, like I, how am I meant to lift my hands? But I would. <laughs> I would lift my hands because I knew. I knew that on the other side of that pain, if I just praised, there would be provision. And I have felt that provision. I have seen that provision. I now walk as someone who's forgotten what that pain even feels like because it's gone. And there was no like radical moment. There was like, I, I don't know, but it's gone. Because pain, praise, provision. Pain, praise, provision. Let's stand.